Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. What's happening, guys? Welcome back to another show. Before we get to the show, I just want to let you know that the My Personal Football Coach Level 1 and Level 2 coaching courses, the online coaching courses are now on sale. So follow the link on the, my, in the bio. So if you want to know more about technical coaching, how to coach uh, ball mastery and 1v1 and small sided games, check out the link. And also the virtual conference as well. It's also on sale to the virtual conference, uh, myself and some of the best player developers in world football uh, for a virtual virtual conference you can download and keep. It's also on sale. So follow the link on my bio or go to mypersonalfootballcoach.com. But now to the show, a coaching family special, uh, asking a question, is there too much dribbling in youth football? And uh, as you're always, my good friend Ben Hicks are joining us and also Alex Nichols, uh, ex-Arsenal skills coach, uh, one of the best technical coaches in the country as well, joining us to talk about this. So think about, is there too much dribbling in youth football? So enjoy the show. So back tonight, uh, joining us ever is my good friend Glenn Hicks. Glenn, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, mate. Good. And also Alex Nichols, very special guest, top technical coach, ex-Arsenal skills coach. Alex, how are you doing, mate? Good, thanks all. Good to have you back. Good luck. So the, tonight's topic, lads, is is there too much dribbling in youth football? I mean, originally, we were, I mentioned this on the, the group chat, we talked about academy football, but Glenn, you made a good point, really, that youth football as well should be opened up. So I think it's a cont- con- yeah, contentious question. And obviously, as, as you see a lot on social media about people's views and that, ironically, most of them not, you know, development coaches or whatever. But what, what is your initial thoughts, you think? Is there too much dribbling in youth football? Alex, I'll let you go, go first on that one, mate. Um, I think youth football has to be considered something totally different to outcome football. I think that's probably the the first aspect that people get wrong, how different youth football is to outcome football, i.e. first team senior type of football. Um, when you then scale it back and then you break it down into foundation phase and youth development phase, um, I think it's about ratios. And I think, um, yes, there will always be a little bit less dribbling as you get close towards the first team, but ultimately the outlier is what you're trying to develop. So if you don't start at that youth um, foundation phase and build into a youth development phase with players who are competent and comfortable on the ball in all positions, being able to carry the ball, whether that's a centre-back driving out, winger going 1v1 and trying to dominate, or if it's a, a centre midfielder just driving and entering the final third, you don't develop your outliers long-term. Hixie, what do you reckon? Um, no, there needs to be a lot, lot more, mate. A lot, lot more dribbling. There is a, there is a massive dearth of dribbling. Honestly, I think it's... It's quite sad, actually, to see kids that are trying to dribble at times. So I see it all the time, whether it's grassroots football stories I hear or kids in other countries or kids. In, there's this obsession with pass, 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 pass. And we need to shake it out of ourselves as a community, to be honest with you. So, and I think that's in academy football. I think that's, I think it's every level of football in, in youth, in youth from under 18s down. And we, we've got to be careful we don't lose a certain type of players. And I know people go, yeah, but we're still producing dribblers in the South Americans and they mind that. Well, that's great. But we can, we absolutely can produce more Phil Foden's in this country and many, many more as well. I think I think if we get it right and we change our attitude towards dribbling and our education is most important, I think, understanding dribbling more or staying on the ball more and what, what the different types look like and what, like Alex said about how do we coach it from 6 to 11 because I think it's totally different from 12 to 16 and then and as you get older, it's different. People change 
Um, people's strengths and weaknesses change and it becomes more narrow, narrowed and funneled and stuff. So, so yes, mate, in a nutshell, I think there needs to be a lot more dribbling. There's not enough, in my opinion, and we've got to be careful with what we're going to create at the end of it if we keep going that way next 10, 15 years. So I suppose the two things to look at then is why? Why should we have more <clears> dribbling? Why is there not enough dribbling? And then two, why, this, why are people so keen maybe to to move away from it? Why do people want to move away from it? So like in terms of a development phase, I must check my shoulder there, excuse me. In terms of the development phase, like, yeah, I mean, I think as well, I think it's crazy. I think I said this the other day about why we've got such a short-term memory, why people forget, you know, where we came from. And you mentioned it as well about Phil Foden. I mean, look, if you look at all the top players in the world, all the players, you know, you know, you know, those Ballon d'Or type players are players who can get on the ball and stand the ball under pressure. I mean, and, you know, and that surely starts with the youngest age group, doesn't it? You know, like you say, it's that getting players to, express themselves, you know, make mistakes, bravado. I, I, I had a session today, actually, this guy, I was coaching this French, this French guy's son, and this guy used to play for Paris FC many years ago, and he said the same, he goes, that he learned all the skills on the streets, but obviously kids don't play on the streets anymore. So you almost got to replicate that environment in academy football or youth football, you know, give players more time to be expressive, you know, have that chaos, that street games, those sorts of things, get those interesting outcomes, because they're not going to get them by themselves, unfortunately. And then, you know, building with the games, it's about having that balance, isn't it, between, you know, the team and the individual, but I mean, surely, you know, at the youngest age, it's all about the individual. Alex, what do you reckon? I think the, uh, the bit that Glenn said about the education is the absolute key because the bottom line is before we talk about academy football, every child starts playing some form of, of, of youth football, grassroots football. So I look at the FA and it's like, well, how much does the FA do to educate, inform and develop principles within coaches, even on a level one? And it's almost like you go in and we've all done the old level one and all the rest of it many, many years ago, now decades ago. But, and I think the FA has tried to progress it, but I think I still don't feel that there's enough certainty and clarity within the approach. If, if, if every coach that coaches in grassroots football just did, a, did their level one, on first, first hour or first half an hour of that course is spent talking about what the outcome is, what we're trying to develop long-term, how we do it and how we need technically capable and competent players, that will then shape and guide everything else that goes next. And I've always said that grassroots clubs, obviously you can get charter standard clubs to kind of that fit within the kind of FA's mould and things like that. I think there has to be more guide as to what a grassroots session looks like. Because um, you see, I see so many grassroots sessions, all different age groups, youth development phase, even a little bit older, um, foundation phase, kids are running around on, on a, around the front of a pitch for 10 minutes and touch the football. So they turn up, they know they're going to be jogging for 10 minutes. And ultimately, we all know how it works within the foundation phase. They're, they just want to be able to get on the ball. The, the chance of, of an under nine or under 10 putting a hammy in the first 10 minutes because they've, they've twisted or turned too quickly is, is next to zero. So get, them, get the players on the pitch, get them engaged straight away. Start getting quaffing and rolling. Just get, just get them doing basic technical stuff. It doesn't have to be complex. But what ultimately, once you then have a framework where coaches can start to um, develop passing, receiving, ball striking, um, skill combinations, regardless of, of how they deliver it, as long as they stick with that principle of a ball with a player within the first 20 minutes of the session, that player is going to pretty much double to triple the amount of touch they're going to have compared to the kind of the old, the old school mentality of 20 minutes running around the pitch. Yeah, the problem is though, I mean, you sort of ref, ref, you hit an L on the head there. I mean, the problem is that the current FA courses, which are really good, you know, in, in their capacity, but they're, they're not, they don't encourage a skill-based programme, you know, level one, level two, just a decision-making programme, which, you know, 
that's the problem. So, like, you know, coaches are coming out there, you know, who have just been educated, I never work unopposed, you know, because they're so obsessed with this constraints-based model, you know, in terms of everything being a game. So, you know, having a player individually with the ball is seen actually as, you know, a waste of time. This is people, this is what actually young coach educators are telling, coming out from the Federation are telling us. So, you know, we, we need to reflect and actually say, no, actually, you know, ball, one ball each is really important. It's actually key and actually helps decision-making, you know, understanding that, you know, if you build a technical base with players, then obviously that's going to improve uh, decision-making, but also about having balance as well, isn't it? Let the players express themselves, let them have skill, but then having, obviously it's when and where to do it. You know, you know if you've ever only got one hour a week, you know, just you know, do your five, first five, 10 minutes with, with a ball each with your warm up. you know, do that. And then, Go into your little small side and stuff like that. that but but it's the key, that not it? Is that the problem is is that you know if if it's if it's been if it's coming from you know the coach education that actually you know don't play ball, you go straight into post game sorts of things. And you know what chance really has coaches have got? You know if you're a grassroots coach and that's what you're being taught, then that's what you're going to do. Hixie, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think I think there's a couple of words like foul and mistake that we need to kind of eradicate from all coaching with young kids, like. When it's the end product, so for example, little Joey tries to dribble, loses the ball, it's not a mistake, but it's perceived as a mistake. If it was Thierry Henry doing it or Son or Robin, whoever, world-class player, you could probably frame it a bit more as a mistake or a critical error that cost the game. But with kids, we've got to come away from when a kid dribbles, I think, the first time they lose the ball, that it's a mistake or a failure. It's not. It's actually, in my opinion, the first step towards success. And I think... That's one of the biggest stumbling blocks I see. I was coaching a game of football the other week, so, and the very first mistake, and these are 16 to 19-year-olds, the very first mistake the player made, the coach was on him. It was like it was like a verbal assault. It was aggressive. It was like, well, what's, what's, the, what's the young man going to do? And I don't care whether they're 6 or 16 or 26. I think the approach from the, from the coach is king, so I really do. And I think our players... So I, I pride myself on my teams and I've got receipts, you know, I've got videos to show it. I pride myself on having, at times people say you've got too many dribblers. And I mean that in terms of, of or too many players that can stay on the ball. And I mean that from, I almost look around and go, how many can, if, if you give me a choice of two centre-halves that tick all the boxes, they can all head it, they can all hook, they can all run, they can all do the defensive stuff, they can all pass. But then you've got one that can just change through the gears or do what John Stones can do when he's in under pressure and hook out and twist out. I'm taking that player all day long. And I think I could go around the whole pitch doing that with a Danny Elvis at right back and stuff. And I think I think coaches have got to take power back away from the federations. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if we become solely reliant on a coaching course, this, this is not a disrespect to any coaching courses. I haven't uh, been on the recent level ones and twos and whatever else. The one online is a bit of a joke. But we've got to take power. Our players will play the game the way that we encourage them to. So I'd say that would that would be the starting point. And getting over that first hurdle of the whole mistakes and losing the ball kind of thing is one of the biggest things to get over first, so I think. I mean, John Stones is a great example, isn't it? I remember, you know, him playing, you know, in the Premier League and losing the ball, you know, and I've managed you know, Guardiola talking about how brave he was, you know, and imagine having, you know, looking at that, having the patience to to recognise the player like that just needs time to develop and work. But then, you know, thinking about an under-9s and under-10 session, how much time are the coaches giving players to just get on it and express themselves, you know, and then how much is, you know, I suppose that's the eternal question, isn't it? I mean, you know, how much is uh, individual, how much is pass and move? And I just thought the other day, like, you know, when uh, this, a parent came to me some one-to-one training said, you know, all my kid does in one-to-one is work on passing and moving. He's an eight-year-old kid. And I thought, what, and my initial thought was like, if, you know, if you're 
foundation phase player, really any age player, and all you're doing is working on passing receivers one to one, and you're you're basically wasting your money, in my opinion. Really, I mean, really, is it is it worth it? I mean, really, you know, you've got to approach players to stay on the ball, get on the ball, movements to break pressure and play forward. I mean, if you know, if all you're working on is getting on the ball and just playing playing it nice and like, as quick as possible, like a hot potato, what's the point? You know, I mean, you're going to get that in your team session, right? So I think it's about understanding what the players' needs are. How do we build a player? And how do we develop a player, whether it's grassroots or academy? You know, the the the, the fundamental building blocks is the technical elements, isn't it? Given the technical elements, is to give players empower them to go and go into the games and express themselves and and do things. I just thought the other day, you know, you know, because even play people, you know, they criticise the way we spend so much time doing our cuts and our movements. But like, lots of players can't turn with the ball. Lots of players can't change direction. You know, because they're not pro, used pro to it. players as well. A lot yeah, of lots of players can't play on the weak side, and you know, it's. <laughs> Imagine how empowering it is for a player to be able to stop the ball or turn 180 degrees both sides with the ball. Because they don't want to end up just, just keep playing the way they're playing or keep playing the way they're facing. And that's where the this constraints model really breaks down for me because, you know, if players aren't naturally evolving in these these movements or these techniques, there's, it's almost like, you know, well, that's it. It's tough. You know, whereas you've got to understand, actually, you know, some players, well, most players actually need a little bit more support. They need a little bit more you know, intervention, if you like, to support them. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, we're not saying, you know, you've got an hour session, spend an hour, you know, working on, you know, ball mastery, but those five or 10 minutes or the 50 minutes were linked into that. It's going to be so powerful just to support them learning new skills, to support them being more effective in games. I think it's crazy. Alex, what's your thought? I had a, I had a really interesting conversation with somebody um, that came over, brought his son over to train with me for uh, for three days. Um, he's at Bayern Munich, as, uh, like a Bayern Munich development centre. He's kind of getting towards that kind of academy type of level and rich, starting to try and bridge that gap. And we had a long conversation. He said, oh, the, the sessions are very structured and very much around passing, receiving, standing, where to stand, how to stand and so on. And I think that, in the last 10 years in academy football, the Cat ones, the, the Uniteds, the, the Cities, the, the Chelsea's, the Spurs, the, the Arsenal's and many others have bridged that gap with the combination of the EPP programme, having things like futsal and five-a-sides, even up to under 14, and the quality of the tours that those, those big clubs are going on. And, and some other clubs are trying to replicate as well. That's where the variety is, is delivered. And that's where players develop more of a kind of a technical base outside of kind of grassroots football. The problem that you also have, though, in some clubs is that, going back to what I said before about men's and women's football as opposed to boys' and girls' football, everybody thinks they're a mini pep. So they, they, they turn up at these academies or they turn up at a grassroots club. It doesn't make a difference. And they want to go into tactics. They don't understand that, that a child at 9 or 11 or 14 might not be able to manage the ball. They don't understand growth. They don't understand peak height velocity. They don't understand puberty. They don't understand the other aspects that players have to develop in order to have that vast technical base to actually execute the tactic that they are actually looking for. So rather than recognising themselves as youth developers, they recognise themselves as first-team players. I have some academy clients um, that train with me and I'll, I'll say, oh, what are you working on at the moment? And they'll say, oh, well, we're working on when the midfield rotation starts, um, how I as a winger can can create the overload in the middle to get to get the full back. And I'm just like, you're talking, talking about tactical principles, you're under 11. And I'm talking mm. about at Cat One Clubs. And I'm saying to them, how long are you spending on this in the session? Oh, uh, maybe the last 40 minutes. I'm like, nah, it's, it's can't be right. I'm, I'm talking to mum or dad and mum does it. Yeah, that's what they're working on. You stand here. When he moves here, you must move there. Then this person... Can't, can't kick it with both feet 
And I, I also think that the biggest issue that you have is that coaches are scared of it. I think coaches, and, and this is not, this is a lack of understanding, a lack of education, and people thinking they're doing technical sessions because they have a session where there's a ball leech. That's, we all know the real, that, that's, that's the basic parameter, level one. The reality is that if you're really trying to develop technique, you've got to know what best practice looks like. You've got to have an understanding of what the level is. You've got to understand, understand the elements like flexibility, um, dexterity within things like ankles and knees. You've got to understand things like um, how ligaments function, how they develop. You've got to understand things like um, coordination, balance, agility, and all these kind of principle-led type of um, elements which are directly related to technique. And I just don't think the knowledge is there. And I don't think it's taught it by the FA. I don't think it's taught in academies. I don't think there's a joined up language. And so coaches are a little bit scared of it. And they don't know how best how to develop it. And they don't know, they definitely don't know how to diagnose it. So when a player tries to dribble and they beat three or four and especially in the top bins, it's well done, young man, or well done, young lady. But if that player then tries to beat two or three and then falls off balance for the shot, that coach then can't help them. So the, you, these things is reverse. It's like she just passed it. She just passed it. Yeah. Well, percentage isn't it? They it's don't know how to I mean, I think that's it. And I, you know, and I continually think about this. It's like you know, it's about what is what is our you know methodology. Now, even in academy football, most most academies, I say nine out of ten, nineteen out of twenty, still it's about pass, move, team development. Like you say, you know, elevens, twelves, probably most even big big clubs, even nines and tens. It's about how how do they measuring success. How good is our team playing on Sunday? Are we beating that team? That sort of thing, rather than it should be like who's got the best players. And that's a problem. It's like this is you know comes to the down to the you know the nitty gritty of the argument. You know, is there too much dribbling in new football? There's not enough in terms of like really the whole curriculum should be built towards that. You know about individual possession when it really is all built towards group possession, team possession. You know, passing and moving when really should be focused on that individual possession. Those those movements to receive the ball, stay on the ball, break pressure, break lines. You know, whether it's with a ball at my feet or when I'm making runs off the ball, that should be the key. I mean, these look at the the assets of the best players in the world of these Ballon d'Or type players. We talk about Phil Foden. This is a guy who can break lines with the ball at his feet. You know, and this this what the whole this is this should be the main thing we're teaching. And the young age is the only thing we're teaching. You know, or developing or coaching. Whereas really, like I say, people swerve it. Maybe they don't understand it or they're not given that guidance or. It's a longer way to go as well because if you're doing that and working those individual aspects and those that individual brilliance, yeah, maybe maybe a team doesn't look as effective or isn't as effective or you know pretty the game on the weekend. But I'm really got to bite the bullet and say, you know what, it's better for the players and they're gonna you know long term they're the ones who got the best, best chance of getting in the first team. Glenn, absolutely, mate. And um, the stuff that uh, Alex was just saying about the coaching and stuff and, and uh, all, the, all the detail of different little facets to do with your growth and stuff like that. Again, that's about the individual coach and the approach from the coach to be an independent learner and a bit more inquiring, like study dribblers more. If we're not sure, if I'm not sure. So I, I forced myself in recent years to study goalkeeping more because I think it's changed quite a lot. I've not been on any courses, but I've watched a lot. I've, I've watched some of the FA webinars and stuff just to pick up some of the modern movements, because I think goalkeepers are more willowy than ever. They're explosive off the line. I think the game's changed a lot, especially with the, the movement to be able to play out from the back. Do you know what I mean? Even just open up your hips a bit more. So coaches, my advice would be to, to just inquire more then. You know, we can't just keep pleading ignorance because we weren't a winger. Oh, I don't know how to coach a dribbler. I think it's our duty and our responsibility to learn this stuff if we're going to meet the needs. And something you said about the academies a minute ago. So I think it happens at not just grassroots, but academies as well. I know, 
I'll, I'll never forget it. There's like them uh, poignant moments that stick in your head. A young lad that's now 16 years old and, you know, a scholar at uh, Tottenham, the club I've worked at for a long, long time. When he was just an under nine, and he's an August birthday, by the way, and that whole summer buy stuff goes out the window, but it was absolutely exceptional from five, six years old. And he picked up the ball against Charlton so three times. And on that day, we said to him, your strategy is, listen, you're going to play right back today. I know you want to play up front. It's, I'll say right back, but there's only a five or six aside anyway. But you're going to play from right and a little bit deeper. And the reason is, I'm not going to say his name too embarrassing, but I'm going to say the reason is, right, we want you to get on the ball more and get on it early and stay on the ball. And honestly, the instruction was as simple as stay on the ball for as long as you want, take as many as you want. First time he fouled, so hit a brick wall. There was a bit of a reaction from a senior member of staff near me. No names again. Second time, got past one player. Lost it in the midfield area. It's fine, son. Keep going. Stick at it. Lost it. And there was no react, no negative reaction from me at all. Bit of a huff and a sigh from maybe one or two people around me. Third time, picks it up. And it's a bit later on in the game, maybe the second period or third period. Picks it up. I'm not kidding. T- picks it up. Go on. Stay on the ball. Boom, boom, boom. Pass one, pass two, pass three. And the finish so was just majestic. He sat the goalkeeper down. He lifted it over the goalie. And this is like an under nine. And he was already running off when the ball's going in the back of the net. And I'm like, brilliant. Well done, son. And what did I do as a coach? Nothing complicated other than I give you permission to do what you're bloody good at anyway. We've seen it from five, six years old. And when you crash, I'm going to be here to pick up the pieces. I'm going to support you. And you know what? I might give you a little bit of guidance about was it your awareness? Was it your timing? You know, maybe give him a bit of technical detail. But honestly, something as simple so as stick with the dribblers. Let them know you've got their back given permission to do what they're doing is sometimes enough. Even even when other people around you are saying no, 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 because when you've done it a long time, you've seen the long-term goal, you kind of know that it works. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, interesting, mate. And, and you mentioned earlier a good point about, you know, in terms of it looks different from the foundation phrase and when you get older, because I see where with the player tonight, same thing, 13, was like dominated as a foundation player. Now, you know, a bit of a growth spurt. Pitch is massive, you know, doesn't, doesn't doesn't work quite the same way. So what do you say then in terms of, Alex, what's your thoughts now in terms of, you know, supporting players, understanding, you know, also coaches in terms of what that looks like maybe when you get to the bigger areas, the bigger pitches and the YDP and progressing to the PDP? Yeah. So I think when you get into youth development phase, especially when you get to late youth, youth development phase, um, everyone just generally, the game's a lot faster, but obviously you, you're forced to be more effective with fewer touches very often, especially in that transition from nine aside to 11 aside. In the early development phase, that's probably the, one of the most difficult ones because not only are player players struggling with the additional players on the pitch and a bigger pitch, but some, many of them, their bodies aren't ready. And if you want my personal opinion, if it was up to me I, and I was head of the FA, I would make an under-13 season and a nine aside season. Um, I just think there's too, there's too much variation. But in terms of developing players and developing players that are capable of staying on the ball when they get onto, onto bigger pitches. It's about then helping them find find smarter spaces because there's greater spaces, actually. They can be more effective with their receiving touches. They can be more effective with their, their position, which helps them to eliminate players. They can be more um, effective at, cover, at covering larger spaces. And and they've got the variety of, 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 of touches, but then also the full plethora of, of directions that they're able to, to, to explore. When they have that base that they should have at the highest level, um, or, or in, in top academies at 13, 14, you're asking them to then try and find a, a balance. And it's it's a case of, okay, well, you've tried something this time. Okay, you, you, it might be on the next time, but make your your job as a coach is make sure that they, they've seen all the possible outcomes. And sometimes that might mean that three times you watch them fail. 
but then you pull them at half time and you have a chat about it or in between the quarter or even after the game. So I want to show you quickly something back. And um, in my time at Arsenal, especially the last two seasons, when I did 15 and 16, we'd have, we'd have live, we've had live feedback. So at half time, we go in the change room and we'd watch clips from the first half. So I could radio to the, uh, the analyst and I could say, 16 minutes 20, can you just clip that clip of X player? I just want to show him something very quickly because we, we've seen it three times. And then you're developing learners, not necessarily by shouting and screaming. You're developing players that, okay, well, maybe I should have executed my, executed my turn a little bit earlier. Maybe should I, I should have started the technique earlier to draw and tease the player a little bit more rather than starting so late. Maybe this player is slightly quicker. Um, actually, I may need to execute more lateral movements to unbalance them better. And then what you end up end up doing is going into a deep dive of what their technical base already is. And then it becomes so much easier. But if you're talking to a player at 14, 15 that can't move laterally and is, only, is a straight line runner, they've got, no, they've got no chance. They can't manage the ball going in the lateral direct, direction. You now don't, they don't, now don't have that variety in terms of decision-making and their capabilities. And unfortunately, at that stage, especially when you get to 15 and 16, you're looking at players that could potentially end up going out of the game. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think as well as that, like you say, it's understanding those skills required, but also like understanding about like different players for different positions as well and different, you know, profiles, isn't it? I suppose you get the, when the pitch opens up, you know, not everybody is, you know, your, uh, your Sterling or your Budrick, you know, you know, you've got your players maybe more suited to being an outside 10 or an inside 10 or, you know, those, all of those fullbacks, understanding what it looks like for each position. So that's why I talk a lot about the players work like, you know, each position, look at the position specific works, whether you're a defender or more defensive minded or, you know, you're granted you're focusing on those areas. What does the 1v1 look like in those areas? You know, how are you going to dominate your opposition? So it might be like, you know, you are that, you know, deep line playmaker who, you know, has got to try and receive it, turn laterally to try and turn to play forward or, you know, let's like say you're the 10 is coming dropping in. So understanding that, and that's that's what coaches need to do as well, help players, isn't it? Say, so, okay, look, then give them a bit of time to express themselves. It's not going to be, you know, the 1v1 isn't always, you know, you know, you amazing dribble, you know, you're beating eight players and driving mm -hmm. through, you know, it's that little little break, little little movement to break pressure to receive with first touch and get around or a little, just a, enough space to play forward. So understanding 1v1 looks different in all areas of the pitch and all the positions and then giving the players time and opportunities to, to do that and work on that in training, right? So it isn't always, you know, just possession, rondo, rondo, rondo. You know, we're working, they're still focusing on those 1v1 areas, making a bit specific to their position and those players' needs and then giving them opportunities to do it. Glenn? Definitely, man. There's a couple of things about the anal analysis. So when Alex was talking about analysis, he's coming and talking about individual stuff, about, look, maybe you could have turned here, it could be a movement. When we watch the analysis on the TV, and I don't think it helps grassroots coaches at all, or youth coaches, youth development. When we watch analysis on the TV, 99% of it is like Jesse Marsh's yesterday. Or I was going to say like, that, watch that. Very good. Yeah, like, it, you know, how appropriate it, it, it is this it's, for like It's fantastic coach. for the right level where it's needed, and it's a very minimal level of football, to be honest with you. Um, but it's great team stuff about the team shape. And we had the one with the Wolves uh, coach a few weeks ago. What it needs to be more, and it doesn't even happen enough, I think, in top-level football. Because when I watched the Man City-Chelsea game the other day, the game was defined yet again, as it always is, on individual competence and incompetence. Raheem Sterling, 1v1 with Carl Walker, who's shown himself to be one of the best defenders the last few years, cuts back inside, whips it in. Erling Haaland, who I think for six foot four or six foot five, is a terrible header of the ball, if I'm honest. If you're just looking at it purely technically, his timing's awful, his technique's not great. He, he he doesn't get the game for Man City because he loses three headers. That let's be honest, there's other strikers. Diogo Cotta technically would have scored them headers that Haaland had, in my opinion. So yet again, the game falls down 
But all people talk about is the tactics. The other thing, saw as well, is so I would say to coaches, when you do your analysis, do it more like Alex or youth developers. We're thinking from an individual thing. Um, the other thing is in terms of just, just basically the setup. So Alex said there about, you know, the big boys, we've all been there, 12 to 16. It's horrible, isn't it? You get the little lad who's an outstanding player and he's just struggling. He's just drowning, just about treading water. Can us as coaches skillfully set up our system? So what I mean is if we've got a load of little rabbits and we ain't quite got the leggy guy and, and at grassroots you can't pick and choose, it's not like a recruitment-based thing or it's not exclusive and you can go and pick who you want. Can you create the system? So let's say it's nine aside. Can you play like a one, two, one, two, one? So you create like diamonds down the middle. People go, yeah, but there's no width. Fine, there is width, but it's narrow. And you know what? Because we're all that way, we're going to try and almost say like our strategy today, boys, is to play through the middle in triangles as intricate as we can and if that means they get the open space in the wide areas or over the top, well, then they're going to get it because they can outrun us. So it's almost like you're skillfully, or like you said about inverted wingers, Saul. Well, if you've got a little lad that's an amazing dribbler, but he's not as rapid as Sterling, if he's right-footed, don't put him on the right. Don't tell him to go down the outside where he's going to get swallowed up by the big, tall, or powerful fullback. Have him come in inverted, like you said. I want you to dribble on the inside of the pitch. And when you go in there and it's a bit chaotic, use your twisting, turning, hooking, and be ready to thread your little passes and be creative. So again, I think we can take control of that sort with how much, how well we can profile our players and then create the, the situation for them to still flourish, even if the kid ends up being a right back because he'll go like Jude Bellingham under 15, by the way, was five foot eight or something. And 22 months later, he was six foot three or two and an absolute machine. So whatever they're going to be, they're going to be. But I still think we can skillfully take control of a lot of it and, and create better environments for our players to develop this stuff. So I, I, I really do. I think you're 100% right, Glenn, because what you're looking at is ultimately a formation or a framework to aid individual development in the youth development phase. So often in the youth development phase, the framework or the structure, because it very, is off, it very often is structured and it's very rigid and it's set up to help the team win. And... One thing I think we've got so right in England in in the last few years, in, and I'm talking about in academy football especially, is that we understand that the individual, the better the individual is developed, the better they can help the team. The approach which I believe and from conversations that I've had, and I've been work, worked with several um, Germans and, 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 and Dutchmen over, over my time, is that they believe that the team makes the individual better. And we've most definitely got that right, whereby we've set up a framework as Glenn's alluding to. But then also, so I think one of the biggest issues is, and this happens in academy football a lot, and I can't really speak to grassroots football, so I don't regularly see the difference uh, from foundation to youth development. The sessions get boring. The players just standing. You you watch it on a nice session, you think, oh my gosh, pre-academy, players that play 1v1, beating two, popping it around the corner, playing off one touch, Rabona's the lot. Nines, 10, same thing. You just then go and stand and watch their session at 13, 14, 15, especially. It's boring. It's hard watch. Players stop running. Players stop being as explosive. Like you say, it's all tactics, rondo, framework, structure, rigid. You stand here. You move here. It's about the individual anymore. And the kids stop running. They literally stop covering the ground. And the same. It's not so much about the numbers that they're covering in terms of the meters, but it's the type of distance that they're covering. It's the type of movements that they're making. They're not moving side to side anymore. They're not adjusting the hips and shoulders. They're not managing the ball in 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 with explosive movements anymore. And and I, I see players become boring who are very talented players who are in the system. And I've seen it several times. 
you know what's brilliant about academy football? So, like you alluded to earlier as well, and I would love to see someone do something pioneering like this in grassroots. I really would. The, 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 in the foundation phase, you know, when we used to go to the London indoor stuff, uh, when there was a power play, like the five-a-side indoor futsal festival, but then you've got the power plays and all that. And then after the power league at Shepherd's Bush, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. When we had all the London clubs playing power league off the boards where, do you know what? There is no hiding place here. There's no there's no ball out of play. There's no resting. It's off the boards. I thought some of the most magnificent football was played in them games and some of the most incredible amount of skill, whether you was a centre-half or or playing, playing from deep or playing forward, you had to survive. There's no hiding place. You're going to get caught 1v1. And I would love to see something pioneering in grassroots football, like scrap it all up. And why is there not a power league youth football? Why is there not a five-a-side, even in the winter, or whatever it is, if the grass pitches are rubbish, take them on the five-a-side courts on the 3G yeah. pitches and let's make a Ripple Way or Tottenham Juniors or, do you know what I mean, Brimsdale Juniors, and let's take them on the courts and bring it back to the streets and have the coaches screaming and shouting from outside the cages where they can't tread over the white line. But maybe even something like that, because I genuinely, from a developmental point of view, saw, I, I enjoyed the seven sides and everything else outside, but the Power League stuff and mixing it up with the tours yeah. abroad with the indoor festivals and whatever else, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think maybe Grassroots has got to go a bit more that way to take it away from like the 11 aside and getting into tactical big group, big space football too early. But not sure it will happen, but I think it would benefit the kids much more if it did something like that, like a power well, league, I mean, that's J- it. J- that's... JPL power league or whatever. Well, that's it, isn't it? Tactical too early. I think that's really the essence of what we're talking about here, isn't it? Is that, you know, the, the, the need for coaches to think that they have to add those tactical elements early and get those, those team outcomes. So then to like, you know, as a takeaway, Alex, what any sort of takeaways for coaches, if you're trying to say, you know, trying to implore them that there's not too much dribbling or, you know, what would you, what would you like, or support coaches and trying to identify why there should be more time spent on the ball? Ultimately, with, if you're talking about yourself as a genuine youth developer, um, when we look at the very, very top level, the best players are the ones that can change the game by staying on it or or being creative at very at very least with their passing range. So do not sit in an environment like that at a young age where the players get maximum repetition. There's no way that those players are going to go on to develop that as the pitch gets bigger and the players get older. So it's, got, it's so important that you start early, get the reps in, but most importantly as a coach, develop yourself and try to break down the detail and develop the ability to diagnose and try to build an understanding of what a top-level player looks like in terms of what they're capable of doing and then scale it back for the, what, for the appropriate detail for the play, level of play that you're working at and watch that player work towards and that scale and work backwards and work up that scale so they can hopefully develop themselves over a long period of time. Ben? First thing is, please do it, every all coaches, just for the pure love. I'm a bit of a purist, I know I am, but the enjoyment. I just enjoy watching the likes of David Ginola or whoever it is. It doesn't matter who it is, it gets on the edge of the seat. So first thing is, it's for the joy of the game. And like we all know, it's the most enjoyable thing for kids to do. We all want to stand the ball a little bit. Um, and the final thing is, when Italians saw produce some of the best defenders, I think they produced the best defenders like the, the, the Maldinis, is because at the base, there was a hell of a lot of highly, highly competent defenders. This was like the normal thing. When Pep Guardiola said something about Jack Wilshere 10, 15 years ago, when this whole country was raving about Jack Wilshere, he was just being honest when he said, Jack Wilshere, he said, we've got hundreds of them in Spain. And he was he was right, Saul. He was absolutely right. There were, you've got Mikel Arteta that didn't even get a cap and Alonso had to sit on the bench. And people like David Silva, limited time because you've got Javin Iniesta. They've got hundreds of midfielders. If we want to get to the point where we've got people that all over the pitch can stay on the ball, 
it's got to become the norm because when we see it from a coach on a Sunday, it's like, oh, that's refreshing. Can we get to the point where it's not refreshing? Where actually, when when I'm coaching against Saul's team, instead of criticise or want someone to kick the lumps out of Saul, actually, a kid does a great bit of skill against your team. I know it goes against your instincts of this tribal want to win. Give the kid a round of applause, say, great skill, son. And then talk to your defender about, okay, how do we defend against that skill? Because I think it really does take a community to, to, to make this work, Saul. And I think, I know we look at the top end all the time, but the base of the pyramid, in my opinion, is where there's, we've got to be, there's got to be so many fishes in the sea. Do you know what I mean? Actually, they're putting pressure on each other to get even better and better and better. And I think, I, I really think we can do it, mate. So, yeah, that would be, yeah. that would be my. Great point. That's also thing. It's just that patience, isn't it? Telling coaches that patience, it takes time. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be brave. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about the players. They're the ones, you know, they're the ones who are going to, Got to benefit from it, and uh, in the end, they're the ones who are going to hopefully, you know, turn out to be top players. But listen, guys, thanks again. Another top episode. Appreciate it. Alex. Thanks very much, mate. All from uh, yes, sunny so. north, the sunny northeast, and Nixie. Mm -hmm. Thanks as ever, pal. See you next time. Cheers, mate. Cheers, all. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.